Let's take our Bibles out now and turn to Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60. If you didn't bring a Bible, we got Bibles underneath the seats in front of you, and you can take one of those out. Turn to Isaiah 60 there, or of course, uh, in a lot of different formats as well. Uh, I'll be reading from the Legacy Standard uh, Bible version this morning, as I normally do, uh, which is a tiny bit different than the Bibles that are in front of you. But uh, it's basically the same in, in how it's translated. Isaiah chapter 60. And by the way, Daniel will be back next week. So that is going to be fun to have him back and I can be back there <laughs> during the music time. So that's okay. So it's good. Isaiah 60 gives us really this incredible vision of this radiant city of God that we're, that we're moving towards in life, in faith, in Christ. And it's, it's really a cool chapter. And so I'm, I'm excited that you're here for it, that I get to share it with you. Because this is one of those ones where you sit there and you read it and you go, I, I get to look forward to this. I get to look forward to this. If you remember, if you were around back when we started this journey through Isaiah together, uh, the first part of Isaiah deals with a lot of woes and, you know, woe, woe, woe is you and, and just all of this destruction and different things like that. The last, the last few chapters here, Isaiah 60 through 66, man, this was like the grand slam of the book. And Isaiah really saves the best for last in, in his writing here. Jonathan Edwards said it like this, grace is but glory begun and glory is but grace perfected. Whatever begins with God's grace leads to God's glory. Whatever begins with God's grace leads to God's glory. We see that in 1 Peter 5, verse 10. And Isaiah begins this section of his book in chapter 40 through 66 by really promising that the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And he concludes here describing the glory for us. And in these last chapters, he uses that word glory in one form or another in the original language 23 times. So every once in a while, just when you're reading through scripture, if you see a word repeated over and over and over again in just like seven chapters, it's a safe bet that God's trying to get something across to you. When God's glory is on the scene, everything becomes new. And Isaiah 60, we get a glimpse into this new Jerusalem and this new city. We get to understand some of the nature and the beauty of this radiant spiritual city to which all of us as believers are going to. Amen? This chapter is speaking to you. It's speaking to me. It's speaking to all of us who are Christians. This is where we're going. 
And if you don't like where we're going, man, we need to talk afterwards. So let's walk through these 22 verses together this morning. We're first commanded to to rise and to be glorious. Here starting in verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of Yahweh has risen upon you. All right, when I read that verse this week, I was zipped back to probably, I don't know, for some of you, for me, I remember some of those Christmases as a, as a kid, like seven, eight years old, nine years old. So it was just like 10, 15 years ago for me. But you wake up real early because it's Christmas morning and you know there's some gifts there. And, and you didn't take a, a, a peek in your parents' closet before the 25th of December. So you're, you're actually, you have no clue what's going to be under there unless it's a long, big box that's about this wide and this tall. And then, of course, that's a bike. But beyond that, you're excited. I want you to picture that. Jesus whose first coming was the dawn of the glory of the Lord, was a sight to cheer up those those shepherds' eyes. The kings traveled to catch a glimpse of him. And we need to understand that back at that first advent, when Christ came, he, he's not abandoned us. God has not abandoned this world. He will never, ever walk away from the place where the blood of his son was shed. So arise and shine. And as We used to sing at camp, arise and shine and give God the glory, glory. If you ever wondered where that song was from, bingo. And and here's the plan. Verse 2. For behold, darkness will come over the earth and dense gloom the peoples. But... Yahweh will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. And the key here is that Isaiah is using the the metaphor of a city to describe the people of God. This message is, is not just political and physical and all of those other things in the imagery of the chapter, but this message is chiefly spiritual. The New Testament tells us that through conversion, through conversion to Christ, we've already started this process. Hebrews 12, 22 
says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels. See, we've already joined the march. We've joined the spiritual culture that will remake the world. Isaiah 60 has nothing to do with the city of Jerusalem and the modern state of Israel that we know today. It has everything to do with the new Jerusalem that the whole world will be coming to in Revelation 21. And we, we can picture this. We can see this. The darkness of the tribulation, the gloom and all of that. And then, boom. The new Jerusalem. And right now, I think it would be safe to say for all of us, when we look at our world, we see that it is suffocating under the thick darkness of evil and unbelief. I don't think anyone, once again, in this room would make an argument against that. And in light of that, and in light of what Isaiah is sharing here, it's interesting how Jesus put it in John chapter 3. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light. For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifest as having been done by God. God arises, his glory is seen. Isaiah says to us, his glory will be seen in you, upon you. Nations shall come to your light. The world will be brightened by the glory of God in something amazing. And what that is, is the world will be coming to the glory of the light of the church. When God makes his presence manifest among us and we discard all of the stuff and the garbage of this world. Worldly people will see the change in us, right? And many will be drawn willingly to God among us. God's glory alone is what makes that compelling. And Isaiah sees here masses of people from all over the world migrating into the church, the whole world on a pilgrimage to honor Christ's church. And the nations then are drawn to this glory of Zion and then end up glorifying it even more. 
In verse 3, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes around about and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons will come from afar and your daughters will be carried on the nurse's hip. Then you will see and be radiant and your heart will tremble and be large with joy because the abundance of the sea will be turned to you. The wealth of the nations will come to you. God has not revealed himself in any other place, in any other religion, in any other thing than Christ alone. And Isaiah sees the implications of that centuries before Christ comes the first time. It means that there is only one culture of salvation in this world. Everyone loves to talk about culture. There's only one culture, one way, one life, one breath that saves. It's Christ. The only culture of salvation in the world then is the Christian church. And what Isaiah is getting at here is it's not that the Christians are going to be the bosses and everyone else is slaves. That's how this world thinks, you know, power and structure, that type of thing. He's saying, as Paul says in Ephesians as well, He's saying the glory of Christ will reunite the human race because we will be one in Christ. One in him. Habakkuk 2.14, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of Yahweh as the waters cover the seas. So we see that parallel verse here. Psalm 34.5, they looked to him and were radiant and their faces will never be humiliated. This new kingdom, this new Jerusalem emerging after the terrible time of the tribulation when Christ builds his kingdom, the church will no longer be persecuted. The world will no longer be aggressive and hostile towards God's church. The church will be the leader of the kingdom because who's the head of the church? Jesus. Christ is the head. No false superiority, no feeling like, oh man, we always end up getting squished. Isn't it going to be fun? And I, and I actually want to use the word fun. Isn't it going to be fun to be at our best in Christ? I, I think that's going to be a blast. You know, there's those days where you, you sit there and, and your walk in Christ has, has been a really good day, and you, you really understand how the Spirit's working in your life, and you see how God's putting things together in your life. Have you had some of those days? And you sit there and go, this is fun. 
I get it. I get what this is all about. That will be every minute of every day. Are we looking forward to that? I mean, verse 6, a multitude of camels will cover you. Now, I know that's kind of lost to us because I think of that and I'm like, yuck. <laughs> but it's that sign of, of, of wealth and, and the necessity of, of every, all of the different things that God has provided that allows us to serve him and grow in him. The young camels of Midian and and all those from Sheba will come and they will bring gold and frankincense and will bear good news. And, and underline that, circle that. And will bear good news of the praises of Yahweh. All the flocks of Kedar and it will be gathered together to you. The rams of Nebaioth, it will minister to you. They will go up with... a acceptance on my altar, and I shall adorn my glorious house with beautiful glory. You see, the, the, the good news of the gospel will still be going forth from the church, and it's going to be echoed back by the redeemed, by the nations. They will bring the good news, the praises of the Lord. I, I, I picture this, you know, it's, it's just neat. The, the worship of the nations will be acceptable to God because it's going to be offered on his altar. The cross, the nations will be true to themselves and all of their fascinating human variation. And, and through the sacrifice of Christ, their worship will beautify the house of God. Every tribe, every nation worshiping together. It goes on, who are these who fly like a cloud and like the doves to their lattices? Surely the coastlands will hope in me and the ships of Tarshish will come first to bring your sons from afar, their silver and their gold with them for the name of Yahweh, your God, and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has adorned you with beautiful glory. Plain loads of God's sons and daughters returning to the city like flocks of birds. Large ships with the supplies necessary to have this incredible, perfect kingdom. And Zion in verses 10 through 18, then becomes more and more beautiful as the riches of the nations stream in. See, I think one of the things that's interesting in this is you get a glimpse in this that the city is continually being built. Isn't that interesting? It's growing. It's being supplied. It's not just boom. It's boom, oh, and we're growing. Foreigners will build up your walls and their kings will minister to you. For in my wrath, I struck you. And in my favor, I have compassion on you. Your gates will be open continually. They will not be closed day or night so that men may bring to you the wealth of the nations. I mean, this is coming in 24-7.
with their kings led in procession for the nation and the kingdom which will not serve you is going to be gone, right? It says it will perish. And the nations will surely be laid waste. The glory of Lebanon will come to you, the juniper, the box tree, and the cypress together to adorn the place of my sanctuary with beautiful glory. And I shall make the place of my feet glorious. The sons of those who afflicted you will come bowing to you. And all of those who spurned you will be bow themselves at the soles of your feet. And they will call you the city of Yahweh. The Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Instead of being forsaken and hated. Isn't that interesting? What, what is it like for the church today? Forsaken, hated by many. Instead of being forsaken and hated with no one passing through, I will make you an everlasting pride, a joy from generation to generation. You will also suck the milk of nations and suck the breast of kings. Then you will know that I, Yahweh, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. And instead of iron, I will bring silver. And instead of wood, bronze. Instead of stones, iron. I will make peace your overseers and righteousness your taskmasters. Violence will not be heard again in your land, nor devastation or destruction within your borders, but you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Anyone else want to sign up for this timeshare? Now, the best explanation of this is in the New Testament as the Apostle John shares with us about the new Jerusalem in chapter 21. Just zeroing in on 24 through 27 again. And the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be closed by day for there will be no night there. And they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And nothing defiled. And no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it. But only those whose names are written where? In the Lamb's book of life. Yeah, that's, that is going to be one serious party. It is going to be one glorious time. There's a reason Isaiah uses that word glory in one way, shape, or form that many times in these last chapters. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into the holy city. The, the best of what People have done for the Lord, I believe, in music and dress and all aspects of culture, all that are purified and consecrated to Christ, flowing into the church. I, I, I really, I think I can picture parts of it. Here comes the string quartet from Vienna playing Mozart. And they're hanging out and they're playing. 
and here comes a steel drum worship band from the Caribbean, and they're playing. Here comes this incredible Scottish bagpipe group that actually plays in tune in their kilts and everything, and they're playing Amazing Grace. And here comes this ragtag worship band from West Hills Church. And all the rest. No one's excluded. No believer. No one whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life is excluded. It reminds you of a promise given to Abraham. In Genesis 12, verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. The church is the one place of human association where God's mercy is experienced. This is it. The church is it. Because of the cross, he says to us, in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have mercy on you, is one other version of the Bible says in chapter 60, verse 10. God fulfills the Abrahamic covenant. Can you imagine Abraham sit, just standing there? Like, had no idea. But this is pretty cool. Can you imagine Moses? Standing there going, well, the law you gave me really proved that none of us could get here on our own. And that's why we need Christ. Can you imagine all of the prophets standing there? Just like, this is what, this is what I saw. This is incredible. Can you imagine the apostles who suffered and died horrific deaths as well for Christ, looking at the fruit of the labor they gave for the Lord? Right? Everywhere you kind of turn, everyone, it's like this thing's incredible. And the thing that we have to remember every faithful Bible believing church is a part of that future world. Millions of faithful believers today that are alive today, are worshiping all over the world the same way we are. And sometimes it doesn't feel like that for us because we, we sometimes kind of zero in too narrow and, and forget that there's an there's a army of believers around this world that are worshiping the Lord, that are living for Him, 
and it's fun when you get to meet them, isn't it? You go to like Shepherd's Conference or different things like that, and you meet people from different parts of the world, and you're like, this is pretty cool. I, I forgot you're there. We won't forget anymore. And actually, that's what Satan doesn't want us to remember. See, Satan wants us to not look at the radiant church. Satan wants us to look at ourselves and other people that aren't believers and different things like that. Little book, many of you probably heard of it, but it's a really interesting little read where C.S. Lewis kind of imagines what demons would say to each other and how they attack people. It's called screw tape letters. I just want to read just a tiny little section today because I think it's relevant to the picture here because what is Isaiah once again doing? He's saying the, the radiance of the body of Christ is going to draw people. The, the radiance of the body of Christ, the radiance is going to draw the, na- the nations. All believers are going to be drawn together. It's going to be so bright. There's no, day, there's no night. All of that. And what does Satan want us to do? Well, he wants us to zero in on darkness, right? C.S. Lewis put it this way. A senior devil was telling a junior devil how to deceive a person that was a young Christian. Quote, one of our great allies at present is the church itself. Do not misunderstand me. I do not mean the church as we see her spread out through all time and space and rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners. No, not that one. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes our boldest tempters uneasy. But, fortunately, is quite invisible to many of these humans. All your patient sees is the half-finished sham gothic erection on the new building estate. When he goes inside, he sees the local grocer with rather a oily expression on his face. When he gets to his pew and looks around him, he sees the selection of neighbors whom he had hitherto avoided. You want to lean pretty heavily on those neighbors. And what C.S. Lewis is getting there is, is Satan wants us to look away from the radiant body of Christ and instead look at a dead world. God actually chooses very unlikely people like you and me to make radiant. To be his people. His adopted sons and daughters in Christ. We're called to something pretty cool. To be something 
that we could never be without him. Paul said it that way in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For consider your calling. Consider your calling, brothers, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, but not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world and the, des and the despised God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may ab abolish the things that are, so that no flesh may boast before God. He actually chooses neighbors, people, that instead of having an oily expression on their face, have the radiance of Christ. On their, they're not being fake. They're just being saved. Once again, dive back into, you know, verse 17 there. Verse 17 is interesting because instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. Instead of stones, iron. It's a, it's a picture of lesser, better. Lesser, better, right? We, we see that there. And when Christ reigns, everything gets better. Everything is renewed. Vast upgrades. Nothing second rate. And that's what Satan doesn't want us to look at. And the problem is, is that too many times in life, we choose the foolish trade. We, instead of going from iron to silver, we go silver to iron. We go gold to bronze. We, we, we trade, we, we make a bad trade. What, what is being said here by Isaiah is that everything, everything's upgraded. Everything is, moves from ordinary to best. Yes, this is not about a city literally made out of metal or even as the last book of the Bible describes it, jewels and pearls and gold. Uh, that, that's an elementary interpretation of what's going on here. Isaiah is inviting us to something that we can't completely understand yet. What it will be like, what the wonder is to be in the presence of Christ. And Christ is what? He's able to do far more abundantly than we can ever ask and, and imagine. And the incredible things of these verses in, in verse 15 through 22, and we'll read the rest of this in a second, is the finality in all of these verses. Uh, the, the words like forever, from age to age, no more, everlasting. 
it's this eternal glory of Zion that, that we're going to be a part of. Verse 19, no longer will you have the sun for light by day, nor for brightness will the moon give you light, but you will have Yahweh for an everlasting light and your God for your glory. Your sun will no longer set, nor will your moon wane, for you will have Yahweh for an everlasting light. And the days of your mourning will be finished. Then all your people will be righteous. They will possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may show forth my beautiful glory. The smallest one will become a clan and the minuscule one a mighty nation. I, Yahweh, will hasten it in its time. I don't like those last words. I want that now. (laughs) But it's in his time, isn't it? It's his time because not everyone that's called to be saved yet is saved. That's why, as we shared this last Thursday night in our Bible study in 2 Peter, we got work to do. We're the ones God is using to share this beautiful message. And until everyone who's called to be saved is saved, we got work to do. But what I do see here specifically in this is that God stakes his reputation on his promise. He will keep it when the right time comes. As many of you know, people have been trying to figure out when that time is for time in eternity, it seems like. But as we know in Scripture, God does not need favorable circumstances in order to make this work. He's going to come suddenly to change the subject all over the world from our depressing false salvations to Christ as the only Savior. The final endless chapter of the human drama. And so it's really easy then to apply this to our lives. If if what is said here in Isaiah 60 is true, If this is what we have to look forward to, what what are the implications? Isaiah's traveling us through time. He's, He's giving us a glimpse of the future. So what's the application now? We're 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 back in our world today. What are the implications of what we've just seen that's happening in the future? And the Bible says this in Romans chapter 4, yet with respect to the promise of God. Okay? 
He did not waver in unbelief, but grew stronger in faith. And this is talking about Abraham. Mentioned him a few times today. Abraham was given an incredible promise. The fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant happens when? The very end. And so the writer of Romans knows that. Talking about Abraham, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew stronger in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to do. Therefore, it was also counted to him as righteousness. So what are we to do? We don't waver. It's been interesting going through First and Second Peter because you could tell even then people were wavering. It hasn't come back yet. This is bad. And Peter's like, no, no. God's in charge. Do not waver in unbelief. So what do we do? We, we, don't, we don't waver in unbelief. We, go str- we grow stronger in faith, giving glory to God. Well, how do we grow stronger in faith? We study His Word. We're part of the local church that is a true expression of of what will happen in the future where we're with radiant ones worshiping together, growing together, serving together, sharing the gospel together. We grow stronger in faith because every day, every once in a while, it doesn't necessarily every day, but every once in a while we see another little glimpse Every time I hear of someone accepting the Lord as, as their Savior, saying yes to God through, through Christ, that is a, a glimpse of the, the radiant nature of being in Him. Every time we see someone accept the Lord, someone get baptized, someone say, hey, I'm all in with this part of the local church, what do we do? We give glory to God. Because we've, we've seen the future in, in Isaiah 60 and in Revelation 21. We, we've seen the future. We know what this ultimately, ultimately is going to look like, but we also know that we've been given a future Hope, but also a present hope. And because of that, we can be fully assured that that God is able to do what he is able to do. And I think for many of us, 
if, if we really take a look at, if you are a Christian in this room, if you take a look, okay, how in the world did God save a person like me? And if you're not blown away by that, we need to relook at <laughs> your understanding of sin. How in the world did God save a person like me? It was the blood of Christ. His sacrifice. And only he could conquer that evil and that sin. Because he's perfect. And really what that does then is that the, the, the gospel of God, the gospel draws back the veil of what has been going on in this world, what continues to go on in this world, draws back the veil revealing these promises. And, and when, when that veil is dropped back and you take a look in and you see what it's going to be like in the new city of God and you, you understand what it's going to be like with uh, millions, billions of, of, of people worshiping the Lord together in one spirit and one truth and, and all of the incredible different ways that God has gifted us to be like that. When, when you have that pulled back a little bit, going back to the first verse of this chapter, it, it makes it pretty easy for us to stand up and to say, arise, shine, for your light has come. To arise and shine and give God the glory. So let's stand together and say that together right now. I know it's a little different, but let's do that. Let's stand together right now. Picture what Christ has done in saving you. Picture what he is doing now in his church, using his church to share the gospel around the world, seeing people being saved daily. That, that veil is, is pulled back. Picture that and picture Isaiah 60, that new city that's coming. Picture Revelation 21, uh, the corresponding picture of that city. That should make us arise and shine the radiance and give God the glory. So arise, shine, give God the glory. Can you, can you do those six words with me? Very simply, here we go. Arise, shine, and give God the glory. Let's do it one more time. Arise, shine, and give God the glory. Believe the gospel. Drink it in. 
Grow strong in it. Give glory to God. And the revival that happened in your life in him will happen to the others around you and the others around them. And through this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. For God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His king, his kingdom is forever. Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the opportunity to be here today and to simply say, arise, shine, and give God the glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless everyone. We'll see you later.